Show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. It's the sound of the shofar. Yom Teruah. Why the sound of the shofar? Because this is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Where does it get its name? Rosh Hashanah actually has nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible per se. In the Bible it is called Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets of the memorial or Moedim, the appointed day of the Lord for the blowing of trumpets. It is the fifth of the seven feasts of the Lord. It is the beginning of the final fall feast leading to the culmination of all things that is that is the feast of trumpets. Then tabernacles. And so and so the blowing of trumpets should continue in the mind and heart of we the people until the coming of the Lord at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what Tabernacles re, uh, means to us, should mean to us. It is the remembrance that the Messiah is coming. And what happens before he comes? Well, that's why God set up three fall feasts called Days of Awe. They begin with the Feast of Trumpets, the blowing of the shofar, to alert the people that it's time to get ready for the coming of Messiah. It's time to get ready for judgment, which comes at Yom Kippur, ten days after the blowing of trumpets. Then, a few days later, comes the Feast of Tabernacles. The presence of the Lord coming for those who are ready, who have heard the sound of the trumpet, who have heard the sound of the shofar, that has resonated deep in their minds and their hearts, and they are ready. The question today before us is, are we ready? Have we heard the sound of the trumpet? George Frederick Handel, in his Messiah, has one of his greatest arias, The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, be raised incorruptible. Yeah, the trumpet shall sound. There is a last trump. And we need to hear the sound of the trumpet. God, in his mercy and in his grace, provided a period of time for the Jewish people 
to come clean before him and to recognize that they needed to repent. That is the ultimate meaning of Rosh Hashanah, which doesn't just mean the head of the year. That's the civic or civil view of Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. But the real meaning from God's viewpoint is Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets calling for Teshuvah, which is repentance. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint today. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I trust that today will be no exception. I hope that you were able to hear the sound of the trumpet. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to translate what I hear here and what is actually heard on the air. But I'm delighted that we were able to at least make that attempt so that you could hear that shofar again. And so today we take a look at the ultimate implications of this fifth of the seven feasts of the Lord, the Moedim, God's appointed times for Israel. As it was for Israel, so it is for us. What's interesting is that the precise timing of the new moon, which is when Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets, was to take place, was not only easily determined because of the clouds or the lack of witnesses. The interesting thing about it is that this is the only feast of the Lord that occurs in relative darkness. Rosh Hashanah is unique. The only Jewish holiday which occurs on the first day of the month at the new moon, when the moon is dark and only a very thin crescent. All other Jewish holidays occur later in their respective months when the moon is bright. Now, there's symbolic uh, significance there. So, even as the seventh day and the seventh year were holy under Mosaic uh, law, so too was Tishri, the seventh month, which is this particular month or Jewish month. Significantly, Rosh Hashanah occurs on the first day of this Sabbath of months in which all three of Israel's autumn holidays occur. The ancient Israel, in ancient Israel, the new moon was normally announced by short blasts of the trumpet, but the new moon of the seventh month was celebrated by long blasts emphasizing its solemnity and uniqueness among months. So, today on Viewpoint, what we see is that Yom Teruah, which is the blowing of trumpets, the fifth feast of the Lord, occurred unlike all of the other feasts during relative darkness. Why is that? Because Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets, was not a joyous day, just the opposite. It was to be a very solemn day. It was to be a day of confrontation between the Spirit of the Lord and our own hearts and minds, realizing how far we have come short. In other words, have sinned against Him. And so it is, in essence, a call to reconcile with God a call to come before him and repent. 
Interesting also, though, the shofar has announced the coronation of a new king. In, for instance, in June of 1967, the haunting sound of the shofar again echoed on Jerusalem's Temple Mount after almost 1,900 years. It was sounded by Chief Rabbi Shlomo Goran after Israeli soldiers restored Jewish sovereignty over East Jerusalem and reunited Israel's eternal capital, Jerusalem. It was a big deal. Even King David spoke about the need for Yom Teruah, the blowing of trumpets. He said, blessed is that nation who hears the sound of the trumpet or the shofar. Wow. Has America heard the sound of the shofar yet? Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Have we yet heard the sound of the shofar? Has America heard the sound of the shofar? Have you? It's an interesting sound. In fact, it is so radically different than the sound of a trumpet that not only does it alert, but it shakes deep inside. It grabs the attention like no other sound. Isn't that interesting? It grabs the attention like no other sound. It pierces deep into the very depths of the soul. From Yom Kippur, excuse me, from Yom Teruah, the day of the blowing of trumpets, which is today Rosh Hashanah, to Yom Kippur are called days of awe. Those days, they're called days of awe because the blowing of the shofar is so gripping or is supposed to be so gripping as to literally grab a hole hold of the mind and heart and emotions of a person to grab their attention away from business as usual to see themselves from God's heavenly perspective. You see, we see ourselves, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Every man thinks that what he's doing is fine and good until all of a sudden he's shaken from his lethargy by the sound of the shofar, or by the Holy Spirit of God, to quicken him to change, to repent. And so God, in his mercy, shakes the people. That's why King David said, blessed is that nation that hears the sound of the shofar. 
I don't think we're hearing the sound of the shofar anymore in America. I don't think we're hearing the sound of anything other than pride and rebellion and stubbornness. Self-exaltation. But one of the key indicators of the blowing of the shofar was the announcement of the coronation of a new king. So today, coming from Israel National News, was this particular uh, piece by Rabbi Eliezer Melamed. Not Muhammad, but Melamed. He said, it is a positive mitzvah or good work to hear the blast of a shofar on Rosh Hashanah. The primary theme of the prayers on Rosh Hashanah is the crowning of God as our king. Well, this is a novel idea. You'll remember back in the days of George Washington after the, rest, after the Revolutionary War, you'll remember that uh, the he had been so revered by the his countrymen, first in war, first in peace, first in the eyes of his, in the hearts of his countrymen, that there was a cry that went up to make him king. Then the colonists cried out. George Washington was not interested in any of that. The cry came up: "We have no king but Jesus." Today in America, we have almost any king but Jesus. Therefore, on Yom Kippur, if there's anything that the blowing of the shofar should do in the minds and hearts of we the people, it is to draw us to recognize Christ as King. The writer of this article in Israel National News today is a Jewish man. He is not seeing Christ as King but he is recognizing God as king. He says the blowing of the shofar is reminiscent of Mount Sinai and a foreshadowing of the future. A foreshadowing of the future? Reminiscent of Sinai? Well, indeed, what happened at Mount Sinai? In Mount Sinai, God showed up. It was a very solemn time. He said to Moses, don't let anybody come anywhere near this mountain because they will die. Then God showed up on the mountain in fire and smoke with an earthquake and with the blowing of the shofar, the divine shofar. So great was the sound of the shofar that the entire mountain and all the surroundings trembled to the point that the people themselves trembled in terror. Now, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul should write, because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. When was the last time you heard that priest from a pulpit? Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What does that mean? Ultimately, God will be as a terror to those who are not 
prepared for his coming, who have not heard the sound of the shofar, who have not repented, who have not come clean before him, who have not recognized they need a Savior, and who have not recognized that they, without that Savior, are unprepared for anything other than judgment. So if you don't hear the sound of the shofar, you're prepared for judgment. That is, you're prepared, you're going to have a kind of judgment that you do not desire. Believe it or not, notwithstanding the fact that the Jewish people do not believe in Yeshua as Messiah, they have not received Jesus Christ, nor do they recognize him as divine. But they're not looking for a divine Messiah. They're looking for a man, a deliverer, like Moses, they say. On the other hand, they realize that God is God, that he is aside from all other flesh, and that there is going to be a judgment, and so Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the blowing of the trumpets, is to call the people to get ready to repent, to come clean before God, because if they don't, their names will be stricken or blotted out of the book of life. Oh, now we're starting to get down to brass tacks, so to speak, spiritual brass tacks. So then why is it that an article would appear in Israel National News today saying that the blowing of the shofar and crowning God as our king go hand in hand? Well, here's the reason, and this is something that we have lost sight of in America, in our churches everywhere. Our shofar, says the article, blasts, the shofar blasts manifest God's kingship, or we might say Christ's kingship, due to the dread that these blasts instill. Therefore, we stand before him broken and repentant. So, if there's any message that is consistent in the Bible, it is the message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to think about it for a moment. When John the Baptist came to prepare the way of Yeshua, Messiah, his message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus showed up, his message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he passed the baton to his disciples, their message was, repent and believe the gospel. When the Apostle Paul picked up the message, even though he talked about grace a lot, his message was still, repent and get in line with the word of God. Finally, 
John the Apostle, in the book of Revelation, seven times repeats the message, repent, in the message to the seven churches of Asia, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. He says, repent, repent, or else. Then finally, in Revelation 21, again, repent. Don't you think that this message of the shofar in Yom Teruah is the message that runs throughout the entire Bible from the book of Exodus when they met at Sinai to the coming of the Lord? That means that this is a very important message, even though it is seldom understood and is presented as Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And all the leaders of the world, the Gentile leaders of the world, jump on the bandwagon to wish the Jewish people a happy new year. But they have no clue what this is about. There are two types of sounds of the shofar. One is called tekiah, that expresses joy. The other, teruah, expresses brokenness, fear, tears, and radical change. So, in reality, even though Rosh Hashanah is a civil holiday, the civil holiday has taken over for the spiritual significance in large measure. But for the Orthodox Jews, or ultra-Orthodox Jews, Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah, is called Yom Teruah because Teruah alludes to mourning, crying, and anxiety, brokenness, and weeping, anxiousness for the next stage, which has not yet been determined who will live and who will die. That's the Jewish view of judgment. So, even though the sound of a teruah is of short duration, the day in its entirety is referred to as Yom Teruah, the day of brokenness and tears, fear and apprehension. The teruah, or the blowing of the trumpet, on Rosh Hashanah is intended to awaken us to repentance. Now, it's interesting. This is coming directly from a Jewish rabbi in Israel today. He says that it's really about crowning God as our king. Now, how could it be about crowning God as our king? Because if he is king, we will obey him and do his will. Our lives will conform to his expectations. But to the extent we do not obey him, to the extent that our lives do not conform to his word, his will, and his ways, he is not our king. We have become king. Are you beginning to get the significance here? And let's consider, as many believe, 
that we are in the last days. We perhaps are in the latter days of the last days. And Jesus, Yeshua, is coming soon. What would be the implications of that? Why is the world not hearing the sound of the trumpet? Why are professing Christians not even hearing the sound of the shofar? Or they might blow the shofars for some sort of uh, significance in in a time of worship, but then the people go on their way. They don't know what it means. They're not connected. Their pastors are not connecting them because they don't want to preach repentance. Why don't they want to preach repentance? Because it doesn't market well. Sorry to tell you the truth, my friends. And when we get back, we'll hear also from even the Russian Orthodox Church, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. He says you don't have to repent. Really? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archive. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Today is Yom Teruah, the day of the blowing of the shofar, the blowing of the trumpet. And it's necessary that we hear it. Blessed is that nation that hears the sound of the shofar. Those were the words of King David. Blessed is that nation that hears the sound of the shofar. David said, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now that does not jibe with uh, some of the teaching that is going on these days, that uh, if you once make a little confession that uh, everything is wonderful, everything is cool, and you are in, you're going to just roll into the pearly gates no matter whether you have been a a continuing and serial adulterer, a uh, a thief, a uh, a liar, a deceiver, it doesn't matter, you're in. Well, that's totally contrary to the message of Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, It's contrary to the words of Scripture, and it is leading many into potential perdition. And that's the reason why the 10-day period from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is called the Days of Awe, because we're faced with a decision. 
we're faced with a decision whether our lives will conform to God's word, will, and ways, whether we will repent, in other words. You see, the most positive word in the Bible is the word repent. Believe it or not, it is the most hope-filled word in the Bible. It is because of God's mercy and grace and kindness that he gives us the opportunity to repent. In fact, the scripture says in the New Testament, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So why don't we want to repent? Because to repent means we have to admit or confess that we have broken his law, that we have broken his covenant, that we are out of fellowship with him, and we don't want to do that. We want to believe that we're pretty great people. We want to believe that we're in. We want to believe that we're better than somebody else. So we we grade ourselves on the curve, but God doesn't grade on the curve. And from the Jewish perspective, it is believed that God reviews the books of judgment on Rosh Hashanah, that's Tishri 1, that's today, and meets out final judgment on Yom Kippur. And those 10 days between them are believed to be the last chance to repent before God's judgment is finalized. Now, from their perspective, it's a judgment finalized for the coming year. But from God's perspective, as we read in his word, it is a final judgment. That's why he is giving us. God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering not willing that any of us should perish, but that we should all come to what? Repentance, teruah, repentance. So theoretically, repentance has always been foremost in the Jewish mind, at least at this particular time. Interestingly, though, the time when the Jewish people most come to their synagogues, is not Yom Teruah. It's Yom Kippur. They, tr- they skip Yom Teruah. Why do they skip Yom Teruah? Because they don't want to confess. They want the benefit without the burden. They don't want to humble themselves before God and repent. So, we want to uh, we want to hear what the head of the Russian Orthodox Church has to say. His name is Patriarch Kirill. He is an ally of Vladimir Putin. And so, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church has said that Russian soldiers who die in the war against Ukraine will be cleansed of all their sins. He said that days after President Vladimir Putin ordered the country's first mobilization since World War II. In other words, he called up 300,000 reservists. Now, why did Patriarch Kirill 
who is, for all practical purposes, the Pope of the Russian Orthodox Church. Why did he do this? Why did he say that? We'll listen to his words here. The church realizes that if somebody, driven by a sense of duty, goes to do what their duty calls them, and if a person dies in the performance of this duty, then we have undoubtedly committed an act equivalent to sacrifice. Therefore, he said, we believe, that is he heading up the Russian Orthodox Church, that this sacrifice washes away all the sins that a person has committed. Well, this sounds like the same idea of penance promoted by the popes. During the Middle Ages, selling what did they call them? The word is skipping my mind now. Anyway, selling indulgences, selling indulgences for salvation, doing something that you can do not to repent, not to own up to anything, not to confess your sin, just do something that's sacrificial and you can be saved. You wash away all your sins and be promised eternal salvation. Now, why did this... uh, Russian Orthodox Patriarch do this? Because the Russian men don't want to enter the war against Ukraine. It's a death sentence. 70,000 Russian men have lost their lives already in this war. And they don't want to go. They're fleeing. They're trying to get to the nations around them. Finland finally closed its borders because there were so many Russian young men or even older men up to 50 years of age that were fleeing because they were being called up basically to a death sentence. The war against Ukraine. So, Patriarch Kirill gets into the scene and says, okay, well, I'm going to help fix this. I'm going to promise them salvation. I'm going to promise them forgiveness, absolution for all their sins if they'll just make this sacrifice and go into the war. Talk about political slander against the God of creation. In the name of Christ, distorting and rendering the sacrifice of Christ meaningless. No need for Yom Teruah. No need for the sound of the shofar. No need for repentance. Just do what Vladimir Putin wants you to do. Interesting, isn't it? Now, interestingly, friends, while you may not realize it, over the whole world, there are those 
who are creating their whole systems that have been created to avoid teshuva, that is repentance, to avoid hearing the sound of the shofar and yet have a promise, a messianic promise of some sort of salvation. And so I wrote the book, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages. Part of the mystery, a major part of the mystery is that mankind is creating his own messiahs. And people all over the world are buying into it. Basically, Patriarch Kirill has declared himself Messiah. He has declared himself co-equal with God, and so he can declare absolution for all these Russian conscripts. He's declared himself equal with God. He said, you don't need to repent. Just sacrifice yourself, your flesh in this war. Self-salvation. That's what it is. There's no call for an awakening of hearts and minds. There's no call for repentance. There's no call for uh, lifting Christ up as king because you've been disobedient. There's no call for any of that. And there are dozens and dozens of these systems which I write about in the book, Messiah, unveiling the mystery of the ages that are capturing the minds and hearts of people, even people of goodwill. This is the moment of maximum deception. This is the moment Jesus talked about, when the deception will be so great. We think of deception as being a unilateral uh, line-of-sight kind of deception. No, friends. The deception is monumental. It is all-encompassing. And I want to urge you to get a copy of that book, The Sign, Unveiling Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Today is Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year from a civil standpoint, but that is not God's viewpoint concerning the day. 
God's viewpoint is that it is a day of profound solemnity to call the entire people of Israel to repentance. And by implication then, to call the entire the entire world to repentance and including professing Christians whose only hope is to be grafted in to Israel, the original olive tree. So, that being the case, again, I want to make the book available to you, Messiah, Unveiling the Mystery of the Ages, because it's going to open your heart, your mind, your understanding to the competition now that exists for messiahship. And people, by the billions, are succumbing, even the Pope, as he, this very year, is prepared to announce the uh, one world religion or the unifying of the religions of the world there in Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. The Pope and a Muslim cleric have united to accomplish this. What do you think that's about? It's about preparing an alternative, friends, to unite the religions in such a way you don't have to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You don't have to repent. You just have to join the new world religion. So everybody sings Kumbaya together and feels good. That's what's happening. But it's happening on many, many, many different fronts, which you'll discover in the book Messiah. Yes, it is about the Messiah, but it's also comparing what is happening in our world so that we can understand the deception that is coming upon the earth, as Jesus said. He said, take heed that no man deceive you. And he also said, it's going to be so great, friends, that if it were possible, even the very small remnant elect would be deceived. So, get a copy of the book. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, we're going to go and, and move forward, and we're going to apply even the more so the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah. It is Israel's dark day. Not a bright day, a dark day. Why is it a dark day? For one thing, God put it on a day when there was almost no light of the moon. It's the only one of the seven feasts of the Lord that is on a dark night. Why? God wanted to communicate to the people. This is not fun and games. Israel's prophets repeatedly warned of a coming dark day of judgment. They called it the day of the Lord. So when you read in your Bible, 
And uh, particularly in the King James, I'm not sure what all the other versions say, but in the King James Version, always called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the time. It's a relatively short period of time in, after the, in the latter part of the last days. We're getting very close to that. It's a time when the Lord himself pours out his wrath, not only upon Israel's enemies, but upon Israel herself to bring her to repentance and into the new covenant. And that day is coming. The prophet Amos said this about this day of a dark day of judgment. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. The prophet Zephaniah gave a similar warning. The great day of the Lord is near. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet. Oh, a day of the trumpet. (coughs) Yom Teruah, the blowing of the shofar. The prophet Joel said, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. This is not the way we sing that song, Our God is an awesome God. Oh, my friend, on this day, people will realize God truly is God. And God had a very hard time getting Israel to understand that. Over and over and over again, he said, I'm God, there is none other. Don't you get it? I'm God. Why don't you honor me? Why don't you respect me? Why don't you obey me? Why don't you do my will? Christians are doing the same thing. See? We're not honoring God. Not really. Maybe in part. But we make up our own excuses, just like Israel did. The Apostle John was describing this cosmic disturbance and darkness, which is going to announce the day of the Lord. He said, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who's able to stand? That's what Malachi said. The Lord himself will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you you say you desire. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord, but who shall be able to abide his coming? And who will stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. The day is coming in which the Lord himself is going to switch off the natural lights of heaven. He's going to pour out his wrath with relentless fury upon a wicked world. Just as Messiah returns to set up his kingdom, it will be... Israel's darkest day, her days of awe, as God prepares, his wrath prepares her for repentance, even her national day of atonement. Before that happens, friends, two-thirds of all Israel, Zephaniah says, are going to lose their lives. And the third that comes through the fire will recognize finally that Yeshua 
is King and Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach. There's only twice in the Bible that it, it records that God blows a trumpet. In both instances, it's a shofar. As we said, the first time was at Mount Sinai. Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, God answered Moses, and the place shook. The last occasion on which the Lord will blow the shofar will be at Messiah's return. As the day of the Lord begins, God's last trump is going to be sounded. The Messiah will reveal himself in great wrath, and he will prepare the nation to be brought into the new covenant, that is, Israel. Paul, the Apostle Paul, described the Lord's coming, saying, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Jesus referred to this as his coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. God's last trump will be blown and the day of the Lord will begin. The last trump will sound God's final battle alarm against Satan and a wicked world. The great day of his wrath has come. We do not find the outpouring of the wrath of God until the end of Revelation chapter 6. When that happens, the world will begin to know that God is God, that Yeshua, Jesus, is King. He is the true Messiah. NASA repentance of Israel is a prerequisite to Messiah's return. And Israel's repentance is one of the chief purposes of the day of the Lord. Israel's King will not return to her until she's ready to receive him. In fact, rabbis in the past said if Israel were to practice repentance for even one day, they would be redeemed and Messiah would come. Unfortunately, though, unrepentant Israel, along with Gentiles, will suffer the fury of God's wrath before they are willing to say, blessed is he, Jesus Messiah, who comes in the name of the Lord. But again, the concept of repentance is far more basic to God's word than just a connection to prophecy. It's required of everyone, Jew and Gentile. Repentance is the life and death principle in Scripture. As the Scripture says, the soul who sins shall die. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, he shall surely live. Repentance literally means to return, that is to return to God, 
God is not returning to you, my friend. He says, you return to me. He says, return unto me, and then I will return unto you. Contrary to what's being preached today. And repentance requires that a person turn away from sin by forsaking it. Confess it. Why do we have to confess it? Why would a person charged with a crime have to come clean before the court in order to receive any degree of mercy? They have to own up to their crime. If they don't own up to it, the court has no uh, no sense of showing any kind of mercy. If you want mercy, we must come clean before God. That shows when we turn toward him, confess our sin, we show our trust in him as our Redeemer, our Savior. In one sense, that's how our knees shall bow and our tongue shall, take, shall confess. Rabbi Eliezer, one of Israel's ancient rabbis, made this statement, repent one day before your death. And his astonished disciple says, well, does then one know on what day he will die? And that, so the rabbi replied, then all the more reason that you repent today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Do you hear the sound of the shofar? Have you truly repented? Don't answer too quickly. It means we have to confess with particularity our sin and turn from it and set a new path, a new stage. Yom Teruah, the beginning of days. Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. I trust it's been helpful, hopeful, and enlightening. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to save America and its friends. Do it today. We are truly preparing for history. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.